for making our way uh, to the book of Kings. So we're in chapter 17. We ended last week with Ahab and his beautiful wife coming into power. He may be the king, but if you know uh, Jezebel, she wears the pants of the family. And suddenly, out of nowhere, in this place of incredible spiritual darkness, the northern kingdoms are in major spiritually major spiritual decline. You all know who appears on the scene because you've all read ahead. His name is Elijah. <laughs> well, maybe you've read ahead. We're Calvary Chapel. We read ahead. Verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. Well, who is this guy? No one knows. His name means Yahweh is God or God of Jehovah. Tishbite, no one knows where that place is. We know lots of what he did. But here out of nowhere in this godless era, he appears. And we're going to discover as we travel through these next few chapters that there are only 7,000 total Israelites who have not bowed their knee to Baal, the God of the sky. But Elijah doesn't know that. But see, their light was so dim, he couldn't see it. He didn't even take notice of them. But could you imagine living in such a time that only 7,000 believers were left that walked with Jesus, but their light was so dull you didn't even know who they were? Well, that's what Israel was like at this time. I like what James writes about him. Here's what he writes in the book of James. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Even though he was a spiritual giant, God wants him, wants you and I to know that he's just like us. He failed sometimes. He had his greatest moment, and seconds later, it seems like, he is running for his life because some woman makes a threat against him. Or the old King James reads like this. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. So as we go through this chapter or chapters that chronicle the life of Elijah, don't think he's above you or below you. He's just like you. He's just like me. His name appears over a hundred times in the scriptures with this being the first one. And so my challenge to us all is make yourself available to God in these days that lie ahead, that your name might appear in his history books because he takes record of everything that his kids do for him. You don't want to get to heaven and have God go, yeah, I know you, but what did you do? You're in, but that's about all you're going to be in. We, we have the same nature as Elijah here. So there has got to be principles for life. There's got to be a relationship that he has with the Lord God that we need to understand. We're certainly going to end that way, maybe with a challenge to our prayer lives, but there's great things we've got to learn here. Usually when a word in the scriptures shows up for the first time, it carries with it very significant meaning. It's certainly not an exception to the rule. I mean, look at what Elijah, a man like us, does here. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, he's the king of the north, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word, as God takes on the Baal God of Ahab. We're gonna, this is test one. This is the very first thing that Elijah does. He steps up and says, hey, I want you to know it's not going to rain for the next three years. I mean, that's pretty easy. I mean, who couldn't do that? You walk up to someone and say, hey, I just want you to know it's not going to rain for the next three years. You might go, okay, kookaberry. Oh, no, because the Democrat says the planet's going to all fall apart in 12 years. So, I mean, what the heck? Let's make some outrageous claims here. So if it falls apart in 12 years, then we need to back up seven because the tribulation period happens. So uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So in five years, the rapture of the church will happen. Seven years, the tribulation will happen. And then at the 12-year marker, all hell breaks loose because God, the earth goes through cataclysmic changes and returns and restores back to the, what it was like in the Garden of Eden. So if she's right, you got five years to get your house in order before the rapture. Of course, we know she's not because Jesus could come back tonight. 
But here's this gutsy guy, this gutsy God-driven man. He shows up out of nowhere, and he takes on an ungodly king with a military to back it up, and he tells the king, there'll be no more moisture on the ground until I say so. Test number one. And then he disappears just as fast as he came. Now, keep in mind that as we read the book of James, we discover that Elijah is not only proclaiming this truth to Ahab, like we see here, he's also the one who prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. So thank you, James, for that. So see, there's something about his prayer life that you and I have got to learn. This man with a nature just like us. Elijah becomes a great picture of what a man walking in the spirit looks like. Jesus talking to Nicodemus said, I hope we remember these words, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is a man or a woman who is born of the spirit. And that's what's happening with Elijah. The spirit of God is directing his life. Just like the Spirit of God wants to direct our lives. The only thing or it or person that gets in the way of that happening is me. But God, the Spirit of God wants to direct our lives every single day. That's why you deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to direct your life. Obviously, this first direction from the Lord was go and confront. And I want you to notice as we go down through this, that a man or a woman that's walking in the Spirit, taking steps of faith, that God only gives those people walking like that one step at a time. He doesn't give us two. No, he gives us one. Now, if you look at your life and go, well, I don't really see a life of living in the Spirit or a walk of faith. Well, you probably need to go back to that place where God spoke direction to you and you said no. You need to go back and say, yes, Lord, I will do. I will go, or I will say, whatever that was. Lord, whatever you want me to do. And then watch what our Jesus will do. See, you can't, when he takes you to step one and says, okay, this is what we're going to do if you say no. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's go to step two. Um, man may work that way. Christian counseling may work that way. God doesn't work that way. God says, sorry, I'll just be quiet. Wait till you go through step number one. It's critical. We understand that. Then the word of the Lord came to him to Elijah, saying, get away from here. Yeah, because Ahab's crazy. Actually, Ahab's not crazy. His wife is crazy. And uh, she, he would have went home and told her, and she would have said, well, kill the guy. Oh, okay. And so get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Sherith, which flows into Jordan. Hide from crazy Ahab and his crazier wife Jezebel and get alone with me, Elijah, to a quiet place. And it'll be that that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded, and these are not clean birds, I have commanded the unclean ravens to feed you there. So, not Rudy's, but it could be. And I, I'll guarantee you, it's not going to be scavenger food. They may be scavengers that may be really good at stealing. And so it could be Rudy's. You know, the guy opens up the smoker and sniffs right in there and grabs a chunk and away it goes. But it's going to be food. But his Jewish law, uh, he's got to move past that first. You know, raven, unclean bird, bringing unclean food, whatever the raven touches would be unclean. So he's got to move way past his Jewishness, but we don't even really know where, how deep his Jewishness is. Once the stream dries up, he'll survive off of a woman's bread. And that's something, no matter how crazy the food in other cultures can be, I think you could actually do that. I think you could survive off of just bread for a long time. I've, I've been in, ate bread in all kinds of crazy countries. I've ate bread out of the fire ovens in Iraq. Pretty good. Yeah. It's good when it's hot. I've had it booked, baked in oil and pans, like fried bread that your mom made if you're old enough in Sudan. That's my favorite. Or stuck in a pan and it raises up in Yugoslavia. I've always thought, well, no matter how bad the food is, I'll just eat bread. You know, I'm on a bread diet. <laughs> no, sorry. I'd love to eat that, but I'm on a bread diet. How much you got? But God's not limited in how he provides. And I've eaten and lived off of bread before, especially in the Sudan. 
Right now, though, it's beachfront accommodations by the brook under a tree, one would think. So that can't be all bad. So far, the directions have been, go introduce yourself, declare the almighty name of God, and pronounce the judgment that there will be no rain. God wants Ahab to know that he's behind the lack of rain. It's not just luck or chance that God's behind. And certainly you would hope that you would wake up and repent as you watch your country shrivel up from drought. But not this couple. They won't wake up. They're going to blame Elijah for this. See, they're victims, even though they are some of the most evil people on the planet. And once he has it all declared, it's now run and hide. Get away from here. Turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith. So he's walking by faith, walking in obedience to the Lord. And a lot of times walking in obedience to the Lord, it doesn't make sense at the moment. But a lot of times it does as you take those steps of faith. But the walk of faith demands obedience. The walk of faith directed by the Spirit of God demands obedience, team. It's critical. You see, Elijah's being trained to trust in the Lord for his daily needs. You know, for Elijah, it's definitely going to be, give us his day or daily bread. And he's learning here. Obedience to the word, words of God is the key issue in learning obedience in the walk of faith that we all must learn, team. And that's only going to happen when our flesh is crucified and God's spirit supplies the power. That's why Jesus told his boys in Jerusalem, hey, you know, yeah, I want you to go out, but I don't want you to leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, until the Holy Ghost has fallen upon you. That's why he told them that. The place where the Lord God is directing Elijah, the brook Cherith, it means cutting. We have to go through these places in our lives, team. Certainly as you walk by faith, that cutting process takes care, takes place in our lives. Jesus says, I'm going to prune those who are growing, that they might produce more fruit. It's going to happen. It's critical that that happens in our lives. God's going to cut off all the outside resources that Elijah could use for food to where he's got to be totally dependent upon the Lord God. It's a great picture of what our walk looks like. Utterly, desperately dependent upon God. And the Lord even told him where that food source would come from. So it's not blind faith. Oh, no, it's faith by the word of God from the brook and whatever the raven happens to bring. But see, knowing our God, it's not going to be out of a dumpster, but off of plates at the local restaurant. I don't know, maybe some guy's smoking a little or grilling some food off the, you know, up on the, the rooftops where they're flat. And, you know, the raven drives in and grabs it. No doubt there are many options for ravens. And it's interesting that God, who's the creator of all things, can control the animals, even as he controls the situations in our lives. One last thought here. Last word in verse 4. Very important. There. There's where you got to be. There is where God was going to provide for Elijah. But you got to be there. There is where God wanted Elijah for this season of his life. There. It's there. You got to move to that place. It's there. There's no doubt in my mind that the Lord Jesus can provide for me anywhere. But I must be certain that I am there right where you called me to be, and so must you. It's critical. And I need to be a clean vessel. Because the raven picture just proves that God will use even unclean vessels to get his work done. So I need to be clean. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, verse 5, which flows into the Jordan. So you got a clean little water source flowing into a muddy Jordan, extended quiet times along the brook. I mean, how perfect is that? And so things are going perfectly. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. No doubt he's gaining some weight if he ain't doing any exercise. You know, he's sitting there, you know, by the brook, just kind of sucking up the sun. You know, they drop it right in, on his mouth or in his belly or whatever. I mean, but can you imagine the lesson he's learning from the Lord of all creation here as a raven faithfully twice a day brings him food? I mean, the first one would be like, wow, I wonder if it's really going to happen. And it does. Now, Elijah doesn't, we don't see that here. God told him and he went and it, obviously it happened. 
And I wonder if he ever thought, wow, I wonder if it's going to keep going. Then boom, that night, there was bread and, wa- bread and, and uh, meat again. See, you and I, we've got to trust the Lord at his word. I mean, it's got to be in our life as well as his as we live out a walk of faith directed by the Lord, taking those steps, obeying, you know, believing. There's times to say if it's the Lord's will, but there's other times to pray, God, do it now. Make it happen. If it doesn't happen, then you know that's his will. You've got to keep in mind that the walk of faith, God can and will, whenever he desires, change up the day's agenda. That's what we're going to see here happen with the water supply. And it happened after a while, we don't know how long, that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. It's obvious, right? No doubt Elijah's been noticing the water supply shrinking away day by day. And all of a sudden he goes to bed one night and there's a trickle and he wakes up and it's bone dry. Now this is an important point to realize in walking in the spirit in the center of God's will, that things will still happen to you as you walk and live out that life of faith. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. Look at everything the Apostle Paul went through as he walked out a a life of faith. Look at everything he went through on his journeys. People chased him, killed him, stoned him, beat him, and yet he was right dead center of the will of God. Take anyone in the Bible that's walking in the center of the will of God. Things happen. During that journey, things happen to people. But that doesn't mean they're outside of the will of God. No, that just means they're inside the will of God. And God says, this is all part of the day's curriculum. Well, Elijah is walking right dead center of God's will. You're being obedient to his direction for your life. Then that which was a trickle last night, when you wake up, there's nothing there. Hey, God, uh, you told me to come here. There's nothing here. The thing that was to provide for you is not flowing anymore. And team, this is so critical. When that happens, don't freak out. Whatever you do, don't panic or complain. Or worse yet, don't take matters into your own hands. That's what we've seen since we've been out here. People take the step of faith, and then all of a sudden the brook dries up, and people start to manage and take it into their own hands. It never works out. Ever. Because God will let it work out. So don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't complain. Don't take matters into your own hands. That's like disastrous. You've taken a big step to come to the brook. Trust God there. Just rest there. Trust God. Look up and realize that the brook is not the provider. The Lord is. It's critical. So often the devil and his demons whisper somehow to God-fearing Christians that they're in the wrong place now or they've missed the turn then because the water's dried up. And How could God be in your decision that you made by faith? And then people panic. Got to understand his methods, team. Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that we should understand the wiles or the methodias of the devil. We're not ignorant of those methodias, his methods. And when people panic, man, they start scrambling to make it all happen in their own, own effort, their own flash. But again, please notice it's very clear that God did give the directions. It's also very clear that God's not surprised by the brook drying up. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath. Brook Cherith was, was a cutting away. Zarephath means refinery or smelting. You know, like a place where the dross is, or the metals are heated up and then the dross is scraped off from the molten metal to make it the, the product all nice and clean and shiny. Team, it's a required class. Can't skip it. Don't fight it. You got to go through it. It's required. You got to go through this, those Zarephath moments in life. So two crucial words so far for people that have a nature like Elijah here that listen and walk by faith. Cutting and refinery are crucial classes that we all have to walk through on our way towards heaven. If you want to make any impact in the world, you got to go through these classes. You got to. You can sidestep them, skip them, Yeah, and you may skip into heaven, but that's all you're going to do is skip in. Got to understand as we watch Elijah's life here, he does not know that God's going to take him home early. We do. And he doesn't die. No, he's taken alive in a whirlwind. No, it's a chariot of fire. No, it's a whirlwind. Read ahead. You'll find out that I'm right. You just 
people believe things because people tell them things. Go read what it says. But he takes him home. But he doesn't know that. But he's learning valuable lessons of life that are crucial for his faith, even as you and I are learning valuable lessons that are crucial for our faith team. So get up, Elijah, and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded, of course, she doesn't know this either, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. See, God's in all the details. Now, we're going to see, and if you've read ahead, this widow is poorer than poor. She's like one meal away from croaking. And yet God says, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. A widow with nothing. How's that possible? Oh, it just makes and gives God greater glory. God is in complete control of every situation in our life. So it's not a bummer that the brook dried up. Oh, no, it's a first-class upgrade. He's moving out of a beachfront accommodations, maybe living under a tree into a house that someone else has paid for. That's first-class upgrade. He's moving from eating from the hand of the birds to eating from the hand of the widow. Of course, he doesn't know before he moves out that the widow's dead poor on her last meal. He just knows that what God told him, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so he's got to take a step of faith. A totally major upgrade. But please know this, team. You have to be faithful at the brook to move on to step three. You have to be faithful to go Ahab, step one, go to the brook. Step two, you've got to be faithful there to get to step three. See, if you're, if you're not faithful in step two, then God just says, well, let's just camp out here for a while. Let's create a whole new situation because we've got to deal with step two here before step three kicks in. There's lessons to learn at that place of cutting at the brook. You can't jump ship and move to the house. God won't allow that. You have to learn the lessons of life today, team, at the brook because it's all part of the preparation process for tomorrow. It's critical. And walking the walk of faith, that walk driven by the Spirit of God, you don't want to walk by sight, by the things you see. You want to walk by obedience to the Lord. That way he gets the glory. You can't, you can't take any credit for it. Verse 10. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. Huh. Doesn't she have wood? No, she's so poor she couldn't even buy it. Was there a shortage of wood? No, a shortage of rain. That means there would have been all kinds of dead wood. But she doesn't have any. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now, he doesn't know if this is the widow. It doesn't say God spoke to him and say, oh, Elijah, this is the one. So he doesn't know any more than Paul knew when he saw the vision of the man of Macedonia saying, hey, come on over here. And he gets over there. Come over here and help us. He gets over there. He finds no man. But he finds a woman from Thyatira. Tyre. He certainly doesn't know she's going to make her last meal and then die of starvation. We do, because we know the story. He doesn't. So what is so interesting about this place where Elijah's going? Jewish town or Gentile? Take a guess. 50-50 on it. It's Gentile. Gentile country. Remember what Peter said as he went, walked into Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10? Do you know how unlawful it is for me, a, Jew, a good old Jewish boy, to be in your home of a Gentile for me to be here? Do you understand that? Uh, thanks for the greeting, Peter. Yeah, what do you got to tell us? I mean, but that's what he says. Now, we don't know anything about Elijah. We don't know if he was that way growing up in the land of Israel in all its tradition and rituals. Was he one who would travel to Samaria and as he would leave Samaria, he'd kick the dust off his feet because he didn't want to pollute Israel? We don't know anything about him. So we don't know how big of a stretch this is for him to go to Gentileville. Was it huge? I don't know. It had to have been something. If he was like Peter, this is going to be giant. And so here he comes. And this should sound familiar to you and I. In Luke chapter 4, verse 24. Might want to turn there. When Jesus was seeking to minister to his own people in his own town, he talks about this woman right here, saying in Luke 4.24, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, 
And there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. It's right there. I want to finish this off because it's so classic. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue where Jesus grew up, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill, that would be in Nazareth, on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. In passing through the midst of them, he went his way. See, the places that he named were Gentile countries. That's why the Jews got so mad. Hey, hey, do you know that uh, out of all the, during the famine, only uh, God only sent, you know, Elijah, his head prophet, to one Gentile. And remember, uh, when Elisha was around, and he, oh, there are lots of lepers, but only that one, uh, you know, Naaman, that Gentile leper, only he was healed. I mean, that's why they're all fired up here. So Elijah going to this Gentile woman is a great picture of one walking by faith in the Lord and obedience to God, walking way outside, which is normal for you. And Jesus puts his stamp on it that this happened because Jesus talks about it. This widow out collecting sticks to make a fire screams at us that she is so poor. She has no wood to prepare a meal before she dies of starvation. And this is what I want us to notice. God sees that too. God will always meet the greatest need. God sends Elijah to her, literally coming out of nowhere. She doesn't know he's coming. She's ready to die. And God has his man in the right place at the right time. And he asked this poor lady for a cup of cold water. Remember drought, little water at the time? And again, please keep in mind, lady gathering sticks to prepare last meal then die. But out of nowhere, a man enters her life, probably dried crusty lips, definitely dried crusty sandaled feet, dusty robe, and he asked her for a drink of water. And the fleshly response would be, get it yourself. Can't you see times are tough? But a spiritual response would be, one that's walking in the spirit, one who thinks of others and does as asked. Wow, could this be a test for the woman? Seems like it could be. She doesn't know that she's the story. She doesn't know that a man of God is before her, one who's going to take care of her because God has commanded this. One who's going to heal her son when he dies. She doesn't know any of this. As Elijah is walking in the spirit here, I don't think he's just lazy. Could he be testing this woman? This woman gathering sticks, hot water, or not water, and Elijah shows up and asks for water. I wonder if these, how, many off, how many times these things happen to us. They're tests. Hey, Andrew, where are we going to get all this f- bread to feed 5,000 people? And John writes, Jesus asked him that to test him. We entertain angels all the time. No doubt they probably test us. I think it's a test here. Woman, will you cease your activity and go out of your way to serve me? I mean, that's how that reads. What would would you do, ladies? What would you do, men? Will you go out of your way, stop what you're doing, and just, will you serve me? She doesn't know who this is. So as the woman goes for the water, Elijah whips out his second request. And as she was going to get it, verse 11, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Remember that morsel he's asking for? It's all she has. She hasn't even baked it yet. And yet no God, no doubt God is choosing this lady because of her servant heart. Actually, if you look through the scriptures, almost all of them are like that. They're not noble hearts, they're servant hearts. Verse 12 is a true biblical account, like I said, confirmed by Jesus' team. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, not my God. So she knows of the God of the Jews, but not personally yet. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Man, she's hopeless. She's in great need. She doesn't know who's before her. She's not a Jew. And the Lord God out of nowhere, literally, I believe, sends his best. Elijah's the best in the Old Testament. Paul's the best in the New Testament. You can have your own best. 
See, God still acts this way if we'll let him. I would like to, but all I have left is enough for me and my son before we die. Man, kind of sounds like paying the bills, doesn't it? I'd like to give a little, throw a little offering here and there, but hey, I don't have enough to even pay my bills. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He doesn't teach give God the leftovers. No, we saw that on Sunday. That's what the Babylonian system teaches. Jesus addresses this issue at hand here, Matthew 6, 26. Please hold your spot here. One more little uh, detour. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, one inch to his height? So why do you worry about clothing? That'd be the Babylonian system, of course. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, or into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows, these, knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I mean, let the God of the universe, the creator of all things, be first, not second. This unsaved Gentile woman teaches that lesson. Just let me be first. God wants to be first. And Elijah, verse 13, a total stranger to her, said to her, his first words to her are, do not fear. I mean, no doubt this woman is, and her heart is full of fear, thinking of her present situation. Her heart is weighed down from what lies before her, and God wants her to lose the fear and place her trust in him. So Elijah, seeking to get her mind off of what she's fearful of, says to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. It's crazy. Hey, take the last bite of your food before you die and bring it to me. I mean, that, that takes some gutsy faith in the Lord. But see, he's learned this lesson of life at the meeting of Ahab, down at the brook by the ravens team. He's watched the Lord God provide for him every day. God has a running track record. In all of our lives, God should have a running track record with us. See, that way, when you get someplace, you just look at the running track record and say, yeah, God's been faithful every single time, even though I've been faithless. So why worry? Why doubt? We all should have a running track record, whether it be a couple weeks, if I just gave my life to Christ, or, you know, a couple decades. See, if I'm seeking to walk by faith, there should be a running track record. If there's not, then you've been controlling the shots of your life. And I, I feel sorry for you. Because the exciting walk is living a walk of faith and living out in obedience to the words of God. That's where it gets exciting. Saying no, there's nothing real exciting there. Elijah wants this widow lady to learn... The same here. Take care of God's man first, and God will take care of you. It's a biblical principle. We see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And that's what he's asking this, this woman with nothing. God's word to him was, go to the widow, this one I've commanded to provide for you, and she's going to make it all happen. I mean, he, he he's speaking that way. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now, that's going to take great faith on her part. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, as this woman is going to go from, uh, from knowing him or knowing about him to knowing him. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bins of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So the divine promise is given. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. It's up now to this woman to exercise faith in the prophet's words that what he has said about the Lord God of Israel will come true. And it's the same for us, team. We have to exercise faith in the prophetic promises found in the scriptures and also in those prophetic promises that God speaks to us. 
We can't rationalize away the steps of faith. Man, it doesn't nullify the promise that's been spoken or given if we try and rationalize it away. The woman could easily say, I don't think so. I'm just going to provide for the needs of my son first. And then the man of God, well, no, there wouldn't have been any supplies left over for her. See, the walk of faith requires obedience to his word. And you can't change it along the journey. Well, you know, I think I'll just change it. I think Christians do that. Please don't ever do that. You know, God's got you on a journey. And then you start, you kind of go, well, you know, I think because it's not going the way you think. And so people change it. I would never change it. Don't jump ship, Lord Jim, man. Stay right where you need to be. Don't cut and run. See, it's not obedience to the part you like and disregard to the part you don't like. No, no, no. You only do that at Golden Corral. You, you don't do that in our walk of faith with God. And so I believe there's a great spiritual principle here that so many believers miss out on on their entire Christian walk. It, it, it's give it all and watch what God can do. After all, He's put it all in the action in the first place. So if that's too radical for you, give first to God joyfully, and then the blessings will come. It's not the other way around. And yet so, so many people in the church, probably 90% have failed to learn the lesson. And yet Malachi presents it very clearly, I believe, in chapter 3, verse 6. So let's look at that. Last detour of the night. Last, chapter, last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Or Malachi, the Italian prophet. For, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, God says. You're cursed with the curse, for you robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will, but, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And that is exactly what happened for this woman. So you can invest it in the Babylonian system. 90% of the church does because they say only 10% give 90% of the money. Or you can live like this woman here. It's a choice. Please notice that her heart is right. She did not give to get like the faith teachers teach. She gave first to God because she believed in the words spoken of, to her that God would provide for her and her son. It's not blind faith. Oh, no, it's obedience based upon God's word. And even the passage in Malachi declares that. Hey, look, test me in these things. Eh, no, I think I'll just keep it safe and live in the minimum. God bless you. God works in there. Craziest ways. But you can play it safe and you can miss out. Verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. I add, at great risk, but not blindly again, entrusting in the prophet's words. And she and he and her household ate for many days. We don't know how many. The Lord our God will always keeps his word team. We need to understand that. We've got to camp out on that. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And that shouldn't shock us. Now, I, I do hope there's videos, DVDs, whatever, you know, whatever the new technology is in heaven. And... And pictures, you know, that we get to see in heaven. In heaven, because I would love to see the expression on her face as she takes out the last flower out of the bin and the last drops of oil to make that little loaf of bread. And she's busy doing her little thing here, and she turns back, and you know, the the oil's full and maybe overflowing, and the flowers going everywhere. I mean, that would be a smile. Oh yeah, no doubt she has a little giggle in her wiggle as she walks away. I mean, I mean, but but it's it's amazing to me. But it's not, because I've watched God do it so many times in our lives. So many times. Because his promises are there. He has to. But it takes faith in his promises. Can you see how God cared for the poor widow team? It matches his word. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans 
and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James 1.27. Like I said, you know, don't, don't forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Hebrews 13.2. It happens. It happens. And to think this whole thing started with simply asking for a cup of water. She could have said no, but she doesn't. The spiritual principle all of this is found in the Gospels by the words of Jesus. When Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And for this woman, her, her, her few things was a cup of cold water. Another problem in the church, too many people don't want to start with the few things with the water. Man, that's like servanthood. Man, I ain't starting there. Man, I'm like, I'm like preacher material. No, no, no. That's where you start. That's where everyone starts. That's where Jesus started. And it's also where Jesus finished. Why should we ever think differently? But we, we do. We change the name. Oh, he's the pastor. He's the, he, he's the, oh, no, yeah, chief servant. That's who I am. How can I, how can I serve you? That's what the word means. Servant, minister. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. He died. So she said to Elijah, as we get a look into these little dark secrets in people's lives, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Have you come to kill my only son who is going to be the one who is going to take care of me in my old age? I mean, that's all gone. But see, there's way more at play here. There's some dark secret here. And again, God says, I've commanded this woman because there's something, wake. you know, as we look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you can't heal like that. Okay, well, let me do something greater. Your sins are forgiven. Hey, you can't do that. Yeah, because the sin issue is always way greater for Jesus than it is the physical. And, and God knows that because Jesus is God. And, and, and behind the scenes, there's something here that only the Lord God knows. And he sent his man to this widow with the greatest need, and not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually. There's something going on in her life. Because see, guilt is an ugly thing. Yet God is going to use it to grab this woman's attention. So what was the sin? I don't know. Immorality, adultery, prostitution? I have no idea. To most of us, widow means death of a spouse, but that's not necessarily... The only meaning in the Bible it can also mean abandonment, discarded, or forsaken in terms of divorce, like she left him or he left her, or they were never hooked up in the first place. Remember, these Gentiles in Zarephath are not living God's ways, they're living their own ways. So there's something that's going on that we don't know. And he said to her, give me your son. So Elijah took him out of her arms, no doubt walked outside and carried him to the upper room, which was usually up on the roof. So he grabbed her, walked outside, goes up the stairs to the room where he is staying, and he laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, and we have to learn from here. Because I'm going to ask you to pray for my wife when we get all done, but we have to learn from here because I don't want to hear anyone say, yeah, if the Lord wills. We're not praying that way. You can pray that way. I pray that way at times, but not all the time. I want you to notice he doesn't say that. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, if it's your will. He doesn't say that. Please take notice of that. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Now, he is not accusing. He's inquiring. God, I know you brought me to this widow. So he looks up with all his heart and he asks God to fix it. And I think as I look at this, that God wanted to deal with the woman's guilt so she could be free to soar in her golden years. No doubt she would become an extreme vocal witness of the God of Israel in her town. And maybe Elijah has tried to minister and she's rejected. We don't know. Maybe he has no clue of her dark past. We don't know. But look at her statement again in verse 18. What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? So there's obviously something going on here. This woman has connected her sin and her son's death together. So whatever is happening in her heart, God has her in the perfect place to bring about his perfect work. And God does that in people's lives. God gets everybody's attention because he has his man, Elijah, in position to minister to the great spiritual needs of this woman, even as 
she has met the great physical needs of God's man. And God's going to work it all out for his glory. And so he stretched himself out on the child three times. Now, how he came up with this technique, we have no idea. But that's not what's at play here. Faith is. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Only God can do that. Oh, Lord, my God, I pray if it's your will, let this child's soul come back. It doesn't say that. Please. Can I get an amen here? It doesn't say that. Okay. Okay. Good. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. I like that. The Lord led him there. Elijah cried out and the Lord heard. See, Elijah could have stood around and moved from inquiring to complaining in verse 20 and he could have just camped out there. But there's nothing good there, team. Always go to Jesus, asking Jesus, never just stand around and complain ever, team. It's never going to do any good because you're not asking for anything. You're just telling God stuff. Elijah goes to the Lord. He asks. The Lord hears. The Lord heals just like he will for us. Why? Because Elijah is a man just like us who has a nature just like us. He's not perfect. He sins. Jesus can sympathize with us in all things because he was tempted in all things yet did not sin. But Elijah, he has a nature just like ours. He sins. He's not perfect. Verse 23, the very first resurrection from the dead in God's word. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house, off the roof, down the stairs, come through the door, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see your son Liz. Watch right now. And here's what I want you to think about. Think about all those hard people in your life you've shared with or tried to share with, and they don't even want to listen. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Really? What about the flower? See, God knows what it's going to take to get his creation to look up and taste and see that the Lord is still and has always been God today. Was there doubt before? I don't know. The oil and the flour never dried up. Certainly that would have got your attention, but maybe it didn't. There must have been something going on in this woman's heart, because as we look at her statement, she was not all the way there yet. But now, wow, that doubt's all gone as she looks at her son alive. Maybe she had not really seen God in the miracles, but she does in the resurrection life of her son. That'll preach. Because Elijah was willing to touch a dead boy and pray for him, this widow woman went from depression to delight, from wondering about the God and the flower to knowing about the God and the flower. For Elijah team, a man with a nature just like ours, it's just been one trial after the other. And that's how it is. Now you can skip them, you can jump ship, you can force God to hit the reset button all the time, but you know what? You'll never pass them. you got to pass them. First, telling Ahab. He passes test one, moves him on to step two. Then he, he's commanded to go to the place of cutting, the brook. Test two, he does. And he learns there. Next, he's instructed to go to the Gentile woman in Gentile country. you got the poor woman making her last meal. Obviously weighed down by her sin now, because we see that, by the actions of her past. God takes Elijah to that place of refinement, the place no good Jew would want to be. Test four, he passes it. He completes it. But all of that preparation for the grand finale of this chapter in his life, and he has many chapters, test five. He has to call out to God to bring life back into the widow's son. Now, God doesn't always do that. I know I did for my son. God has different plans. But in those moments of life, I'm not about to say if the Lord's will because I don't want that. I don't want the Lord's will right now. I want this to happen. Don't despise the small trials of life, team. you got to enjoy them. Enjoy the trials, team. Lift your eyes above the trials. You know, set your heart on the scriptures. When I had the whole brain tumor thing, I didn't say, you know, if it's the Lord's will, I don't want it to grow back. I don't want it to grow. I just want it to stay the same. No, pray these three things. Don't pray if it's the Lord's will. I don't want that. I want this. This is what I'm asking for. We can do that. It's on record. We see this. A man like a nature, just like ours. That's how he prays. It's critical for our lives. And then along the journey, consider it pure joy. 
So some cheap cliche. It's not. It's, it's one of God's divine words. My brother and my sister, and count it all joy. Consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because God's going to produce fruit in you. But you got to go through them. You got to go through them. I mean, that's how Jesus' brother James puts it here. Consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials. I mean, James's life was a, was a total trial until he came to know that Jesus was God. Can you imagine living with a guy that's perfect? Hey, who was it? it wasn't Jesus. I mean, could you imagine what that was like? The Apostle John writes it like this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. You got to go through the fire. Don't skip them. And whatever you do when you go through the fire, don't miss them. Trials come and go for many different reasons, team. Protection. Sometimes it's a trial to protect us from something. Maybe to perfect us, to perfect our faith, for affection, to stir up a greater love and intimacy towards the Lord. Sometimes we go through trials for direction. Maybe it's reflection. I don't know. Except I looked up the rhyming thing. That's the only words I could come up with. <laughs> don't miss out on what the Lord Jesus wants to do in your life as we fix our hearts on his word and know and own the words of Jesus. For my grace is sufficient for you, my fellow believer, for my strength, God, Jesus says, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. You have to camp there. You have to believe that. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, and this is the same for you and I, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake. And we are. It's all for Christ's sake. We're living witness. We all live in fishbowls. The world's watching us. We're a living witness. For when I am weak, that's when Jesus makes me strong. It's not an optional team. Mandatory class that we all must allow to master us. You don't master it. It masters you. Elijah, like a nature like ours, lived his life that way. Perfect? Nope, we're going to see he's not. But we're going to see he doesn't deviate from the plan often. Same for us. Great lessons. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we want to be found in that place like Elijah here. Lord, going through the steps. Lord, obedient.